0: Beth Ford has run Land O'Lakes since 2018. It's one of the largest food and agricultural cooperatives in the U.S. It's fully farmer-owned and will be in business 100 years next year. Ford has helped lead the farming sector through multiple recent challenges, including COVID-19, tariffs, and extreme weather conditions. For the first time in Gallup's 20 years of polling Americans' views of business and industry, Farming and agriculture is now number one. I'm Alexis Christophorus with Yahoo Finance and joining me today is Beth Ford, president and CEO of Landalikes. Beth, it is so good to see you again. Thanks for joining us on the All Market Summit. No, thanks for the opportunity. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, there's a lot to get to. But look, I want to start with this. I I don't need to tell you how much people are baking and cooking (laughs) throughout this pandemic, myself included. And I know you're on track to sell something like a record 300 million pounds of butter. This would be a a company record for you. Um, Do you see demand remaining this high? Is it sustainable? Well, it's certainly elevated. You know, it's really interesting.
1: We're stepping into uh, November, December. That's normally key season for the butter business, right? Because that's normally when we're all baking and cooking and getting together. We've seen this incredible elevated amount of butter being sold and and cheese as well. We have cheese business, et cetera, um, since the start of this pandemic. And, um, you know, so do we see it staying elevated? Well, I'm really gonna be interested in what that holiday season looks like. Normally there's a surge. We're starting to see our order book is really quite full for October as we step into that that filling of uh, retail shelves. Um, I think it'll stay elevated, certainly towards the end of the year. And then the question really goes to what is the reopening? Because a lot of dairy products are sold into food service, right? bulk butter type stuff. Um, And so will there be a shift? How quickly does that open? What is that dynamic? I do expect that we'll continue to see elevated levels through um, the holiday season, and then we're gonna see what the reopening
0: plans look like in next year. How have um, you been keeping up with demand? What does the supply chain look like? I remember I went to the market not long ago looking for unsalted butter because I wanted to bake. There was only salted butter out there and I had to wait a while. So what, what's it like keeping up with that demand?
1: Uh, it has been really, uh, really amazing. You know, It's not that there's not enough milk to make the butter. Right. Uh, milk production has been strong for dairy producers, um, but we are operating. Literally, we had to uh, reduce the variety of SKUs. You said salted. That's interesting that you couldn't get unsalted. Um, but we also have different types of, of uh, butters and that we put on the shelf. We had to pull back from those. We had to go to one particular case count for every retailer, like 36 versus 18. Right. So that we could maximize production on our lines. Oftentimes in the spring, which is the most productive for cows making milk, it's called flush. You make a bunch of butter and then you put it in your refrigerator for key season, key season being November, December. Well, we've been selling everything. So there was no butter put up because everything was coming off the lines and going into retail stores. And so, um, you know, how is it? Well, we're, we're maximizing production. We're reducing skew variety. We're in a good position as we get into
0: um, to key season, but we're gonna see how uh, the year ends. We know that farmers are the lifeblood of Land lakes, you know, and people may not realize that your company is a $14 billion farm owned cooperative. Yes. And it's been a tough couple of years uh, for farmers. I mean, they always have to deal with sort of challenging weather. That's always sort of in the backdrop. But they also, of course, now have the pandemic. And then there were trade issues concerning China during the Trump administration. Just give us a feel for what our nation's farmers are feeling right now. How are they doing? Um, you know, you,
1: you went through the, the waterfall, the cascade of the issues that have been present for agriculture and for farmers. You know, as you know, farming is an outdoor sport. <laughs> so it can be too hot, too cold, too wet, too dry. You'd be a brilliant farmer, you can still have issues. Um, well, how are they feeling right now? The pandemic did exacerbate supply chain backup. So I mentioned what happens with food service. Oftentimes, producers, farmers, dairy on the dairy side, ship to Um, food service restaurants, you know, uh, uh, processors who make products for food service. Schools have been shut down. Um, So, you know, you lost basically 15, 20% plus of the market for distribution. You saw backup in uh, meat processing, right? Um, Hogs, cattle. And so what happened was that there was an immediate drop in collapse in commodity prices. As well, there wasn't um, a lot of international trade because a lot of things we're, were, you know, were saying here in the United States, especially early in the pandemic. And exports are crucial to profitability for farmers. For instance, on dairy, one day out of seven of production is exported in variety of products. So um, this, was really, this was really causing pressure at the farm gate in terms of pricing. Now, how are they feeling right now? Well, we've made it past this particular, the the peak point of the the pressure. The administration and the Senate and the House did provide uh, funding for farmers, interim payments to make up for this gap. Many will make it to the other side. We're gonna see what happens with this this next few challenging months, depending on what happens with the pandemic. I have seen um, grain pricing, so row crop farmers, so beans and corn have started to strengthen um, being priced up over 10, 20, 10, 30 corn price, I saw a four number in front of it. And so that's stronger performance for those crops, those are core crops. Um, and so that's a, that's a positive, that's a positive. I'm seeing a little bit more momentum, a little bit stronger um, performance for dairy, the food box program that is providing food for, um, for underserved communities and for, um, for the food insecure has, uh, has elevated milk price a bit at farmgate, So we're not seeing the same level of bankruptcies at uh, the dairy farm level. So they're feeling a little bit, you know, it's not stable. Let's not say that, ooh, and we're in this stable environment, but there are, there are more positive signs than there have been um, for the last uh, you know, couple of years, especially. Trade has started to pick up in China. We're seeing a lot of, of uh, shipments, especially for soybeans, for hogs. Etc. into, uh, into China.
0: Are you looking for any more aid to come from the government? You know, we're still waiting for this next stimulus deal, uh, to, to materialize and when it does, are you hopeful or is, do you have reason to believe that there will be some aid in there for our country's farmers? Well, the
1: administration and I think the House and Senate um, reallocated some funding to, um, you know, to a funding area that it provides funding or, or support to farmers, as well. You know, support programs or insurance programs um, will be critical. You know, so the farmer has to sign up for insurance, um, and same thing from the dairy uh, for the dairy side. So, are we looking for support? Well, we're going to see. I mentioned the food box program. Actually, funding had. Um, uh, had run out for that food box program, but it looks like they're re-upping for maybe another billion dollars is what we're hearing. Do I expect we're gonna see something? Well, um, we, we all don't know what's gonna happen in that round four, my government affairs team, and certainly we are uh, connected through our, um, through our uh, government affairs team into um, both the administration, the House and the Senate to get a, a view and then advocate appropriately for um, you know, some level of gap um, you know, payments uh, for farmers as we, as we move through this pandemic.
0: You know, something that farmers have had to deal with even pre-pandemic has been um, access to connectivity and to the internet and the pandemic has really just exacerbated that need. I know that you are a huge proponent for internet uh, access in rural areas. You've backed legislation regarding this. Where do things stand right now and what else can the public and private sector do and come together uh, to help aid the farmers? Thank you for phrasing it that way. This is about coming
1: together. 18 million plus Americans lack access to broadband. Majority of them are in rural communities. Um, one in four farmers are, are, rural community, um, uh, citizens lack access to broadband. This has exacerbated, or this has highlighted this, uh, this digital divide that we have, you know, oftentimes on a farm, they're having, the teachers are having to drive out with this paper homework, so these kids can do homework because you don't have enough technology on the farm or you gotta run farm equipment. I mean, it's, it's really um, unacceptable. And this isn't a rural issue, this is an American issue. Food security is a national security issue. We see this front and center, right? We all see this, we're, we're working from home. We're, um, we're connecting with doctors from home. And uh, there's a shortage of 40,000 doctors in rural America. There's a lack of hospitals, and now we see COVID coming into these areas. So what are we doing? We are advocating, we've started a coalition called the American Connection Project. We've got over 120 other companies, Microsoft, Cargill, uh, Polaris Tractor Supply, any number of company partners who also see this as a need. We must fix this, um, this lack of access to broadband. It needs to be like a 1930s rural electric initiative
0: going across the country, I want to switch gears for a moment and talk about um, the world we're living in right now. And Land Lakes is headquartered a short drive from the Minneapolis neighborhood where George Floyd was killed. What has it been like leading uh, an organization that is at the epi- epicenter of what sparked uh, a lot of these uh, protests through, throughout our country? It's been painful. It's been difficult.
1: Um, you know. First of all, our responsibility, my responsibility as a leader, is to acknowledge this is this is just terrible and painful. This should never have happened. This this basically we we saw uh, somebody lose their life right in front of our eyes. And um, and what what I would say is many folks in the in the community, and you know the Twin Cities, in Minneapolis-St. Paul, they have probably 17 Fortune 500 businesses here. This is not an inactive community of making reinvestment in the community to say, we've got to, sh- we've got to close some of these um, dispa- disparities. There's been a, a disparate outcome between minorities in these communities and, um, and the rest, and we can't have that. So what has it been like? It's been very painful in the community and then very difficult as a CEO in this business. We have list held listening sessions for our team. And you know, I don't have that lived experience of having fear have my children go out to ride their bike, right, to um, to drive. We've had stories where, um, you know, where uh, senior executives, minorities pulled over, right, on their way to work. And we don't live that. I don't live that. We have to listen to that. We have to understand what are the systemic issues. Um, can How do we make sure our employees feel engaged, feel safe in their workplace, feel part of the of our community and then as they leave work, how do we make sure we are committed to making appropriate investments um, to, to make sure that they feel safe and engaged and happy in their community. So it's, it's been painful, a learning session for many of us um, and you know a commitment through the Minnesota Business Partners uh, and as well as through the Business Roundtable. I sit on some of those, um, those committees as well and I'm sitting on their board to try to address what is a very challenging time, I think, for all of us.
0: Land Lakes is, is going to be celebrating its 100th uh, birthday. I think it's next year. And uh, mm-hmm. this past spring, uh, you removed the image of a Native American woman uh, from your butter packaging. And there have been all sorts of um, ideas out there as to why you may have done that. You know, shortly thereafter, we saw other changes like. Aunt Jemima changing up its products, Uncle Ben's changing up its products, but tell us the reasoning behind why you changed that butter, the imagery on, on the butter products. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we did
1: that in January, February, right? And then all of these other changes came after you know some of these discussions on racial equity and, and um, those types of things. Why did we do it? Well. Um, When I took over as CEO, which has been a little over a couple of years, we started looking at a number of things. Yes, we're coming into our 100th anniversary. We are a farmer-owned cooperative. We take a great deal of pride in that. In fact, research tells us, our marketing research, that nobody is more respected than the farmer, right? And so what we recognized is, were we messaging that, that what that is special about us, that we're farmer-owned, that we're a cooperative? Um, And when we did our research, what we found from consumers is they didn't know that. Wait, wait a minute, we didn't know that. If you'd have told us that, that would have been more reason to, to um, be connected to your products. So we made that decision and, and some people view it as you took it away. I view it as we moved forward to message what differentiates us, our products, who we are. We go right from the farm. We, you know, we know the cows, you know, we, we own Karina. You know we you know we feed the cows right? you know we, we I have a retail business and so we're different and we wanted to message that to consumers and that's why we made those changes
0: um i also want to congratulate you on making fortune's most powerful women's list of 2020. Uh, that you. is awesome um i know that uh, from from reading about your background you grew up in a large family um, in Sioux City, Iowa. Growing up, who were some of your female role models? Um, well, I would say my biggest role model was my
1: mother. Um, you know, I do, I'm fifth in the family of eight. I have three sisters, four brothers. Um, we were very much a working class family. Um, my dad was a truck driver. You know, we started working very early in our lives because if you wanted your own clothes, um, you had to work for that. And I got one drawer that was mine in a room I shared with my three sisters. Um, so, but, but I want to, I want to say my mother is my biggest role model. And the reason is here's a woman who, you know, who grew up kind of in an orphanage. She was adopted. She became a nurse. She got married young, be a nurse. She had eight of us. She went back to school and became a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and then she became a minister. You know, she said, I work on their body and their mind and now on with their soul. Um, she's still with us. I'm very fortunate to say. Um, but her resilience, her kindness, her empathy. We didn't have, as we said, two nickels to rub together. But I remember so vividly her telling me, you know, we would have to go take a meal to a, a family in need at Thanksgiving. I'm thinking, well, <laughs> we don't have tons. But we'd go there, and then she would say to me, I can just see it so vividly, you know home with a couple of kids and they didn't really have a lot. And she said, do you understand your responsibility? You have been given so much, you know, don't disappoint. Understand this is about somebody else. So my mother is my role model. She's incredibly bright, um, strong, resilient, um, capable. And that I think, you know, we should all aspire for that.
0: Well, it's certainly a blessing to have your mom. If you don't mind me asking, what's her first name and how old is she? Her name is Carol. Wasmouth and uh, she
1: is 83 now, I believe. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Uh, I want to get that right. You You know, what's been funny is that I have all these siblings, but often you know, we live in all parts of the country. um, But you know, now what we have we do is we do a Zoom with all of us, and there for a long many years, I wouldn't see some of my siblings for a couple of years, right? Because they're in some others, but now it's like we're seeing my mom and all of us, um, you
0: know, on Zoom on Sundays and catching up and it's, it's been a blessing. Yeah, I can relate, I can relate to that for sure. Um, before we let you go, if you had five minutes alone with the next president, you had, you had his ear for five minutes, what would you want to tell him? <sighs> I would say that um, we have
1: work to do on where we think about investing um, to, to close some of this economic disparity that we see and to make sure we stabilize um, operating environments. If I'd say it in my role as the CEO of Land O'Lakes, I would say I have concern and continued concern for rural vibrancy, for the the challenges that I see in these communities that lack investment, lack access to healthcare. Um, Some of the most food insecure are actually in rural America, lack of housing, lack of, uh, you know, and we need to do better, it leaves us insecure and and, and leaves us as a nation less secure um, and we need to focus on that. And oftentimes this is viewed as somebody else's issue, that's a rural issue, this is an American issue and that's what I would be, I would be um, saying. It's no different than, and I've used this phrase, that rural America is the new inner city and we should think about that because what we've done is we've not invested appropriately this. 19% of American lives in rural America, they comprise 44% of the military. These are people willing to do the hard work for our country and we must invest in them in these communities to make sure we have a vibrant America. So that would be my, my focus. Technology is an enabler to close this gap. Um, we should be excited about the ways that we can think about that, including technology as an enabler for data and analytics for sustainable production so that farmers and farming can be part of the solution for climate change and for other um, other bigger problems um, you know, in, in society.
0: Well, thanks for shedding a light on rural America. Beth Ford, CEO and president of Land O'Lakes, is always a pleasure and thanks so much for spending time with us. You bet, good to see you.